Hi, I'm Gabby. Welcome to the Happier Life Project, brought to you by the free award-winning mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self. In today's episode, you will hear why body positivity isn't the answer to diet culture, and body liberation is... We're surrounded by media images of thin but curvy in just the right places and perfectly made up women. For most of us, it can be hard to live up to that standard, which can lead to poor self-esteem. This is backed by science, with studies showing that exposure to thin models worsens body image and increases body dissatisfaction and anxiety. It also contributes to pathological body concerns and disordered eating. Body positivity is a movement that has sought to repair the harm done by diet culture. Body positivity states that all people deserve to have a positive body image, regardless of how society views their body compared to the thin standard. It focuses on challenging, unrealistic beauty standards and the messaging is very much shifted towards all bodies are beautiful. And while body positivity is certainly a step in the right direction, it doesn't address the fundamental problem that what our body looks like dictates our self-worth. Body liberation is defined as the freedom from social and political systems of oppression that designates certain bodies as more worthy, healthy and desirable than others. It is the belief that all bodies are worthy and deserve to exist just as they are. Body liberation promotes the view that no one can know another person's health or abilities just by looking at them. It also goes a step further and states that someone's body size, health status or physical ability is not a measure of their value as a person. In addition to recognising that you are so much more than your body, body liberation is intersectional. It involves breaking down the systems that oppress people of colour, members of the LGBTQ plus community, women and disabled people. Today's guest is Michelle Hopewell, a body empowerment and menstrual wellness content creator and an actress who has done the work to reconnect with her body and come to a place of body neutrality. Eager to see as many people reconnected and in tune with their own bodies, Michelle shares on her social channels her own experiences as well as information and tips on period health. Liberation is not having to love your body all the time. Liberation is not asking permission to be included in society's idea of beauty. Liberation is personally giving ourselves permission to live life. So, ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Well, welcome, Michelle Hopewell, to the Happier Life Project. Absolutely psyched to have you on the the podcast. We're calling this episode Mind Body Liberation, 
inspired by your Instagram handle, which is My Body Liberation. You're a content creator plus an actress. So I'll be crossing over and asking you a couple of questions in relation to acting, but mostly about your passion for creating content around body empowerment and menstrual wellness. So I suppose to kick this off... I want to know why. Why are you so passionate about making content in this area? Good question. Um, I suppose sort of like my journey with my body or trying to have a more positive journey with my body started around 2014. I think that was probably, you know, tracks the mark in sort of when we started seeing on social media at least conversations around body positivity I was very much someone that was consuming that content and that messaging um, and just it was so refreshing to be exposed to a narrative that talked about having a healthier relationship with your body rather than one that was sort of rooted in so much of the toxic diet culture and impossible beauty standards that so many of us have grown up within generation after generation. Mm. And so that's sort of where my personal journey started. And then over the years, it definitely has evolved. And that sort of came with my uh, health journey as well and my diagnosis with endometriosis and what that meant for me Mm. Um, and now I very much sit in a more body neutral body acceptance sphere the heart of my messaging that I share with my audience is remembering that whilst our bodies are incredible also affirming that we are more than our bodies and so taking time to recognize that you know we have spent so much of our lives fixated on just our bodies that actually We miss out on some of the other things that we need to be investing our time in, especially when it comes to sort of our overall well-being. Mm. I definitely want to go back to our fixation with our bodies, which isn't... I think for the most part our fault is it but we'll we'll get into that in a little bit just a bit more on your kind of journey first hope you don't mind I've um, pulled this quote directly from your website for a long time I had a very disassociated relationship from my body I viewed my body as an enemy why couldn't it just do what that other bodies could do why couldn't it just look the way that other bodies looked My body and I made a terrible couple and our relationship was even worse. Mm. And I'm sure that resonates with a lot of our listeners, um, myself as well. But can you take me back to that time? Can you on sort of hindsight see where this bad relationship came from? Mm, No, definitely. I think for a lot of us, the roots can definitely be quite similar. Um, You know, whether it's exposure to, like I said, diet culture, a lot of the narratives that we see, there's a lot of fat phobia sort of ingrained in our society. And so a lot of the negative imagery that we grew up seeing on TV and film and affirmed on reality TV and like all of those things. So the media definitely plays a huge part in how our sort of relationship with our bodies and ourselves are formed. And then obviously everyone's sort of unique experience environmentally, relationally, you know, that will also affect your relationship and 
how that developed. So no, for me, definitely whilst I grew up in a house that was very affirming of like your uniqueness and like everyone's differences being celebrated, I still was impacted by the media and by relationships with friends and, you know, what's talked about in school. And from a very early age, I was able to see, oh, I don't look like my friends. I don't look like what's celebrated on TV. I don't have the long flowing blonde hair. I don't have the porcelain skin. And so that really does set that begins setting the foundations of what you perceive to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I actually did a post yesterday on my page talking about the pressure that exists to perform beauty and how inherently exhausting that can be as well. We're really taught from so early on that that is something that we should be performing, especially as young women. Mm, Absolutely. And I can't help but think about, I recorded a podcast which will go out after this one. In fact, there was so much to it. It's going to be two episodes. It was on orthorexia and that's Mm. when people take healthy eating too far and it also includes excessive exercise. And I bring this up because Davina McCall was used as an example of, Mm. um, you know, how she looks and what she preaches about the, you know, exercise. We all know exercise is good for us, but the level that she does to have the figure that she does. And also she's released a book on elimination of sugar. Sorry, Davina, you seem like a very lovely lady, but I'm just I'm using this as an example of yeah. that scene as like what we should be striving to achieve. But then speaking to somebody who, you know, works with professional athletes that are Olympians, but also with people that have eating disorders. And then she works with the National Ballet team and stuff. And she was like, that is a very unhealthy unwell lady that needs to go to therapy because Mm. of what she's putting her body through to to portray this sort of image so yeah we're feeling crap about ourselves but we shouldn't be because you do have to punish yourself don't you to get to that kind of aesthetic I suppose yeah and I think that's so interesting sort of the connection also between the boundaries and the limits that we we force ourselves to reach in order to meet mm. this certain aesthetic or this certain standard mm-hmm. and how much of that is also rooted in work and healing that needs to be addressed that actually exists outside of the body Mm -hmm. and so for me that goes back to the work of body neutrality because there is so much focus Davina is a really interesting example because there is so much focus there on the aesthetic one can also ask ourselves okay if we're going to challenge that what is it then that she's striving for Mm. what is it then that she is in pursuit of is it actually this body and this standard of living or is it something deeper and where does that come from and what are the roots of that and how can she address those things Mm. and so really like taking the time to actually unpack uncouple ourselves from all of these narratives and also like Davina's generation as well they very much are 
you know, they had so much exposure to diet culture. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting when you look at the history of advertising in relation to body image, in relation to basically it all just ends up coming back into a bit of a loop, into a bit of a cycle um, that has evolved over time. And whilst we've made progress, it hasn't broken the loop yet. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just Davina, is it? That The problem is it's so widespread. And I guess these people in the public eye, they do feel like the pressure to, mm. to, to have this certain, you know, body type or whatever. When I was looking into, because we are a mental health and wellness app, the negative outcomes that having a negative body image can cause, depressive anxiety symptoms was number one. Increased risk of suicidal thoughts, low self-esteem, interpersonal problems, alcohol and drug use and abuse, reduced physical activity, uh, loss of sex drive, stress, social isolation, decreased motivation to seek help, perfectionistic tendencies, repetitive negative thoughts. So that is all really heavy stuff and with your story and your journey with maybe squashing the negative thoughts and and sort of healing a bit to be able to come to this place of neutrality and I'm really interested in finding out more about you said your relationship changed with your body when you started to act I'm really interested how that actually because I would imagine for a lot of people that can push them the other way yeah you know Yeah, so I started my training in 2012 um, and I graduated in 2015. So before I had graduated, I had begun working professionally, which was hugely, you know, a huge blessing, obviously a total privilege. Not everyone's in the position to be able to do that. Mm. But pretty soon my exposure to professional settings sort of highlighted things that I already knew to be true which is that living in a bigger body is always going to be a little bit trickier so the way that you're perceived how you are received in rooms um sort of the stereotypes that are placed on you the limitations that are placed on you um become much more prevalent and as you continue on in working there is a pressure to ask yourself, well, what am I meant to do about this? Do I rectify this? Do I intentionally pursue a path in which I change everything about myself in order to fit a socially acceptable mould? Or do I find a way to exist as myself and push against the narrative that who I am is fundamentally not good enough, that it isn't beautiful, that it doesn't want to be viewed on a stage or on a screen? Um, And so whilst I definitely had those thoughts and struggled in my studies about maybe I should change myself by the time I was working and graduating, actually something inside of me really doubled down and resisted against that. I was determined to be able to have a career Mm -hmm. in which I could be myself and successfully make a living without having to change everything about who I was in order to fit the mold that we see, especially when it comes to performance and sort of the entertainment industry. Mm. Do you think it's getting better over the past 11 years? Have you seen 
more opportunity um, yeah. or just more I do think it's got neutrality? I think, we're, I think we're moving in the right direction, mm. but I do think there are still some fundamental issues, some sort of infrastructure issues that will make it hard to see lasting change until uh, some of those things have sort of been broken down at the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard because the industries, whether it's Hollywood or it's here in the UK, the basis of you know what is received by audiences or what is given to audiences is very much based in, in aspiration, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to be the female lead you want to be the girl next door and that's a look and that's decided by studios and producers and it fits this very specific mold that has existed for centuries you know that even predates you know moving pictures this is standard that has been created by the patriarchy what is you know acceptable to men and the male gaze mm-hmm. and so it's not going to happen overnight that that is you know broken down and when it does happen there's going to be this whole period of upheaval and sort of change and I don't think we've reached that point yet mm. but I do think we're heading in that direction and I do have like such high hopes for you know the new generations that are coming even after my generation I'm a millennial they are very passionate and very fierce and you know I think that they're definitely laying some really great foundations for change Mm. yeah so we're moving in the right direction but I I do think there's a lot more work to be done. Mm. And a big part of this um, movement is the body positivity movement. And that agenda is to try to teach people to love their bodies. Mm. So body positivity is a social movement focused on the acceptance of all bodies, regardless of size, shape, skin tone, gender and physical abilities, whilst challenging present day beauty standards as an undesirable social construct Mm -hmm. so I guess you're part of this movement aren't you and there's there's others like you challenging perceptions I'm gonna follow up and say and yet and it kind of echoes your thoughts about there's still a long way to go because when I asked Google who are the biggest social media influencers in the world every Mm. one of the Kardashians is top of the list (laughs) And again, I hate like singling people out, Mm -hmm. but none of them have got realistic, achievable body shapes, in my opinion. They've Mm -hmm. all, you know, got trainers and they're all very open about the the fact that they they like to get cosmetic work done. So, yeah, there's still a push-pull, I think. Yeah, very much so. I think... The Kardashians are a really interesting example of that. I don't follow them, so I don't really know too much about them in depth. But I had done a post, I think, a few months ago that I think Chloe, like one of them, Mm. had been talking about the roles that they have played in sort of the beauty standards of the last decade and in a way like I thought that was great you like you're moving into a place where you want to you know challenge and hold yourself accountable for the roles that you've played but sort of briefly talking about it is not going to undo a lot 
of the harm that's been caused is going to take a lot more than that. And what's wild about the platforms that they have is that if they were to turn around tomorrow and say that we are boycotting Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Pinterest, all of them, if they were going to boycott it until there were proper um, social media regulations that protected users from AI that protected them from, you know, aggressive sales of diet culture things. If they did that, they could shift the entire landscape of body positivity, body acceptance, body neutrality, diet culture. They have that level of power and influence, but they won't because they are still very much monetized yeah. in those areas. They garner their income and their livelihood from selling, again, aspiration. Mm. So until they're willing to put their own sort of like income on the line, they are still part of what's sort of wrong with the system that exists. Yeah. And this beauty standard that they're, they're part of, I mean, I don't want to... Sounds a bit dramatic to say they've got blood on their hands, but literally, I'm going to share some statistics. People are killing themselves, you know, pushing themselves to to that extent. Yes. Um, more than 50% of adults from the US, UK, Australia, France and Germany reported experiencing weight stigma. Nearly one in three health club users reported significant symptoms of body dysmorphia, of which 70% of these had an eating disorder. Mm. Nearly one in two adult women report feeling more concerned with the way they looked during the pandemic lockdown. Nearly 70% of adult women report withdrawing from activities due to their body image. In more than 50,000 adults, 60% of women thought they were too heavy and were self-conscious about their weight. 30% reported being too uncomfortable in a swimsuit and 20% thought they were unattractive. Approximately 91% of women are unhappy with their bodies and resort to dieting to achieve their ideal body shape. Unfortunately, only 5% of women naturally possess the body type often portrayed by Americans in the media. Mm. Only 10% of people suffering with an eating disorder will seek professional help. It's depressing and it's these are stats from 2023. Wow. Yeah, more than 40% of women and about 20% of men agreed they would consider cosmetic surgery in the future. More than a third of people who admit to normal dieting will merge into pathological dieting. Roughly one quarter of those will suffer from a partial or full-on eating disorder. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and th that was me cherry-picking from a ton of stats, you know, correlated. So it's a big problem. In um, terms of body image healing, what um, worked for you? I think what worked for me, and this is why, though I think I still exist within sort of this sphere of body positivity, I wouldn't say that I'm under the umbrella of it anymore. I, I am more, I think, within the neutrality Neutral. sort okay. of acceptance, uh, acceptance yeah. sphere, is that um, with body positivity, there is this perception that you have to find a way to love your body or that's it. 
there's like no room for grays but the reality is we do we don't live in black and white right there's so much gray within that yeah and even if you have reached peak zenith with your body image healing anyone because we are human beings and we're you know we're alive we're gonna have days where we struggle we struggle with our bodies we struggle with ourselves you know whether it's imposter syndrome or just days where we're feeling low Mm. that happens Mm. and the other part of body positivity that I think I sort of stepped away from as well is that sort of the concept that your journey is really closely linked to someone else's or a group of people. Because then if someone else starts making decisions that are right for them, but they're not right for you, because you're the foundation of your body image healing is so interconnected with them. If theirs shakes, your shakes too. Whereas for me, this work needs to be individual because it is incredibly individualized. Everyone needs a slightly different approach. Everyone views themselves in a slightly different way. We all have different needs. And so that's where autonomy for me comes in. Body autonomy is Mm -hmm. the privilege of being able to make the choices that are right for you and yourself and your body. So what what worked for me isn't necessarily always going to work for someone else, Mm -hmm. but the biggest the biggest part of the journey was beginning to uncouple my journey from other people's. Mm. So still Mm. respecting that it's wonderful to be able to relate to other people, relate to other people's journeys, their stories, but not relying on their journey and their story in order to validate my own, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the building blocks for my body image healing was Mm. uncoupling myself from others Mm-hmm. And then I would say the next step was definitely acknowledging that this isn't going to be a linear journey. It's not just going to be a journey where I love myself every day because we go through such an expansive journey with our bodies, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you do have conditions like PCOS or endometriosis, you are almost at odds with your body. You can still love and appreciate and respect your body, but health wise you're not going to be able to achieve the same level as health of someone else you're going to be dealing with symptoms that affect you mentally emotionally physically every single day of your life Mm. which means it becomes a bit of a dance there's give and take there of acknowledging this is a really hard day I'm in a lot of pain or I'm dealing with a lot of nausea or I've got so much brain fog I don't feel like myself right now yeah acknowledging that that's not a negative thing that's just a neutral observation and that doesn't mean that you and your body can't have a healthy wonderful relationship it just means that you're a human being and there's going to be Mm. moments where you struggle yeah so those were definitely the the two building blocks for me in my own body image healing Mm, yeah, very good points. I loved something you posted on your Instagram. It's maybe a few months ago, I think, in regards to achieving body peace. It was a sort of suggestion you put out there. You said, what's your earliest memory of looking at yourself and saying you weren't enough? Close your eyes, go back to that person, tell them what they need to hear, free them, let them go from the idea that their sum total is their body. Mm. So how did you even figure that out? And did you do this yourself? Do you have an early memory of of when things started to snowball? 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. I have so many early memories of sort of spending time comparing myself to the other girls that I saw around me again. Like I said, knowing that I was fundamentally different to them. My hair was different. My skin was different. You know, all of the, the foundations of your body just being completely at odds with everyone around you and how that impacts your body image and your self-esteem as a young girl. Mm -hmm. And so that is a practice that I have used and still use because I think it's something that you can continuously affirm. I don't think it has to be a one-time thing. I think it can it can be a tool that you regularly use to affirm that part of yourself that you're you're going back to get you're going back to get that part of yourself mm. and say you're actually not alone in that moment that moment when you felt so alone when you were thinking those thoughts i'm here with you now and i'm taking your hand and i'm letting you know it's okay to think that mm. but it's not the truth it's not all that you are it's just a little moment in time and for me definitely like like I said, we put so much emphasis on sort of the external part, but this is where the mind sort of comes into play with me and for me and how I approach my mental health. And one of the ways I look after myself is with therapy, has been therapy in the past. Mm. I think mental health support is hugely helpful for going on a body image healing journey because actually when you start to break everything down, it's not just exclusively about your body. Mm, I can't help but think as well just like you know I've checked out your Instagram page and just talking to you now like you're such an aesthetically good looking lass you know your hair I would kill for <laughs> there's so many people that suffer with this stuff that but then if you if you could get into the eyes of somebody else you mm. know you wouldn't see yourself that way it's it, mm. we are our worst enemy aren't we a, a lot of the time have you got any mm. tips for you know when that negative voice pops up like how you do deal with it I mean I've heard when I've asked people this before things like give the voice a, a childlike voice or you know something so it's it doesn't sound as terrifying or whatever to or, or the sound of somebody who you find to be a bit of an idiot such as Donald Trump don't know how that <laughs> name just came into my head but <laughs> um no, I think that's really interesting I think the concept so that's definitely sort of like a therapeutic tool that I'm aware of addressing sort of when we are in a mode where we have been triggered and those intrusive thoughts begin mm. the concept that's oftentimes it can be related to a part of yourself or an age that you were so you're responding mm. from where it's actually taking you back to so if you're responding from a place where you were 10 years old and you were in the playground and other kids were ganging up, ganging up on you and they were calling you names and saying these things about you that weren't true so you're reacting from that place of defensiveness I do think there's something about trying to remain in your adult self as much as possible but addressing that part of you to say look, I know it's really intimidating when people do that, when they gather around you and they're saying things about you that aren't true, yeah. but actually you don't need to worry because you're not back in that place. That moment's over. It's not going to happen again. You're here with me now. And in our adult self, we can handle this mm. and we can work our way through sort of like the checklist of how to come out of this feeling instead of remaining in it, mm, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's a time of year where we tend to like cut loose, drink what we want, eat what we want, 
but then we really give ourselves a terrible time in January. You strike me as somebody who's done the work and maintains quite a healthy, balanced sort of spirit. How do you kind of keep yourself on track? Oh, my goodness. I think, again, like we all, because we're human, right? So we're all so, we can be really susceptible to like negative messaging or like little comments. People like, oh, right, you're eating that, are you? Like anyone hearing anything like that, it's going to make you feel a type of way. And you're going to initially be like, well, ouch, that hurt. But again, it's about how can you walk yourself through that moment, okay? Because do you actually need the validation of, you know, some brand on TV telling you it's time to get ready for the new year and, you know, you have to shed this amount of weight? Do you need them to validate that or can you validate yourself? Can you say, okay, this is actually how I feel I want to get prepared for the new year. This is how I felt I handled the holiday season. This was what was right for me in the moment and these were the things that I did. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make the foundation that you have be based on you rather than you know, X number of external validation sources, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yep. we're all we're all human. I think it's really difficult to go through a festive season or any kind of holiday season, even if it's like the summer, and be exposed to that messaging and not feel like it's knocking you about a bit mm-hmm. or not feel like it's had a bit of an influence on you. It's only natural because, again, we're only human. Mm-hmm. But all we can do is make sure that we're shoring ourselves up. We have the tools in our toolkit to look after ourselves to make sure that we're affirming the things that are right for us, affirming the messages that we know are correct for us rather than anything else. Mm. From everything we've talked about so far, self-esteem and self-worth is definitely, it feels like, you know, that's getting to the real root of what needs to be worked on and then the rest kind of will trickle into place a little bit. And we've talked a lot about, obviously, like body image, but I'm also a little bit curious your thoughts on makeup because, mm. like, I, I think my mum has actually come a long way because she was all, I mean, generationally it's very different and, like, my gran, her mum was, you know, very much the same, like, well put together. And I always feel like I don't know what happened along the way because I'm most happy in my yoga pants and not so much makeup, hey. but... My mum would say, like, you're not putting any makeup on today, you know? And, it would, and again, I think this will probably resonate with some folks. Or she's even said in the past, I'm not coming out with you unless you put a bit of makeup on, you know? That <laughs> and she's gotten a lot in her defence. I think she's done a bit of the work and now she's like, she doesn't say anything. What's your thoughts on this sort of pressure as well to put our faces on? Yeah, that's really interesting. So I think makeup can be so much fun. I think it can be like a form of expression. I think it can be a form of play. I think it can be a form of artistry, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm definitely not someone that is reliant on it Mm -hmm. in order to feel myself. I think I feel my most me without makeup to be perfectly honest Mm. um which is also interesting from like a performance perspective because obviously if I am on stage or I am um, recording something that then I am required to have depending on what the role is I am required to have a certain level of like a face beat if you will (laughs) and so Mm. yeah Yeah. I enjoy it in those moments because I see as an extension of play but for myself personally it's not something that I rely on. Um, I do think it's important to 
investigate and play to know sort of what your happy medium is like I don't think we have to be scared of it but I don't think we have to be reliant on it either yeah um I think it is really interesting sort of like thinking of our mothers and our grandmothers generation there was definitely again this is sort of like talking about like the male gaze and stuff yeah up in the patriarchy also sort of filtered through respectability politics right so Mm -hmm. the idea that you're literally not presentable if you're not dressed a certain way and if you don't look a certain way so Mm -hmm. be like struggling to be in certain spaces if you are not showing up in a particular way whereas that is something that has changed a lot I do think respectability politics definitely still at play a lot of the time Mm. um but yeah I think there definitely was a pressure more of a pressure for our our mothers and our grandmothers when it came to respectability and expectations of how they should be presenting themselves at any given time yeah good point I yeah I think there are still some some people that wouldn't go out without the makeup on you know yeah, Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah I, know, I know people, I know have friends that definitely, they're like, there's no way. Yeah. But they don't even go to the corner shop if yeah. they didn't have a face on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm the other way. I would, I go in my PJs. <laughs> Do not mind. Do nope. not worry. No, no, no. I really want to make sure I get in a couple of questions in regards to menstrual wellness. And you touched on the fact that you have endometriosis. And we've not talked about this on the podcast yet. And I think we should really, because I know it's really painful. I've got friends that have it and there's different degrees and stuff so what's your experience of it being like and in terms of like um your body how does that all sort of weave in when we're talking about like body liberation and becoming a place of neutrality with your body but then you've got this going on Mm. when it comes to menstrual health I think, and again, sort of linking our mothers and our grandmothers to it as well, we've sort of grown up in several generations where we are encouraged, whether it be relationally or in medical settings, to be dissociated from our menstrual health. Mm -hmm. So like, Mm -hmm. oh, periods are painful, you just get on with it, just take painkillers and you get on with it. Mm -hmm. So I think that is something that has been affirmed to anyone with a uterus for a very very long time yeah it being that to the point where you're so dissociated from your body that you don't understand pain level cues anymore and you're not registering symptoms and you're not aware of like what your limitations are and like where your boundaries should be Mm -hmm. and so for me menstrual health does go hand in hand with any kind of like body politics because it's again encouraging you to whilst you recognize you're more than your body still being in a place where you're in tune with your body yeah so being able to understand oh no I, I am actually in pain I need to I need to get help I need a care plan for that I need a management plan or I need investigation Mm. when we're so far away from our bodies then we're also going to be so far away from our menstrual health so we're not going to be able to 
build the toolkit that we need to look after ourselves. And we're not going to be able to say, oh, I can advocate for myself because you can't even name what you're feeling. You just know that you don't feel good, but you can't say, oh, it's nausea or it's brain fog. Do you know what I mean? You can't really name the things. You're just, the, the feelings are also foreign. Mm-hmm. And so really dialing into your menstrual health for me is so important because it's giving you a language for understanding your body and your body's needs. Mm. Do you find as well, I think it is getting better, but like I'm, I've not really ever had too much of a problem talking about when I'm having a, my period, but I have noticed if I will mention it in front of a guy, not all guys, but a lot of them will like grimace or shudder. Like, yeah. you know, how dare you be ble Like I've got control <laughs> over it, you know, <laughs> but it's like that or like, you know, like it's gross. So yeah. I think that like it is great that we are talking about it, but I feel like men need to do the work a little bit here, right? Oh, 100%. I think everyone should be getting really good menstrual health education. It should not be gendered in any way. I think Mm. we should all know about it so that we can look after ourselves, but we can also look after our community. So the people in our, either in our immediate family or in our lives, you know, if you're, if you're a guy and you know that your friends on their periods, then your first reaction shouldn't be grimacing. It should be asking if they're okay. And if there's anything that you can do to help them you know what I mean yeah because it means that their body is working 10 times harder than it works at any other time in the month to Mm. to allow a process to happen um so yeah I think there's unfortunately still so much period shame and period stigma Mm. even right down to you know a lot of folks being able to say you know use the word menstrual or period there's still so many different sort of like you know old time of the month or aunt flow like we still use all of this sort of coded language around it which Mm -hmm. isn't necessary but that language was all all developed in a sense to still keep us dissociated from the process and from ourselves and so reclaiming the language the correct medical terminology is so important as much as possible because again it's about no longer being dissociated from the process and from your body but actually being able to understand this is what's going on and this is what my body needs Mm. where do you think would be a good place to start in terms of coming to a place of acceptance and neutrality with our body and whatever health conditions we may or may not have as well I think a good place to start is acknowledging all of the things that you're struggling with Mm. and I think that's probably the bit that that sort of going back to body positivity like because the focus is just on exclusively finding a way to love yourself I feel like it means that you're skipping a few parts of the process that I think are really important yeah so I think the first sort of port of call is just even acknowledging how you feel like what is your current state of relationship with your body do you even have one do you talk do you use dissociative language when you're talking about your body is it something that's separate to you you know how do you feel like do you do you think you spend a lot of time comparing your body to other people still Mm. do you feel like you use a lot of negative language acknowledging all of those things is a really good starting place Mm. yeah such great advice thank you so much just got one more thing to do and that's the last five in five so this is more like quick fire it's the same five questions that i ask every guest Okay. okay 
when and where are you at your happiest? <gasps> when and where? Uh, Disneyland Paris because oh. it connects me to the kid in me, which I love because it just allows you to play and be fully grounded and present. Oh, I love that answer. <laughs> What's your favourite thing to do that nourishes your mental health? Oh, one of my favourite things to do is cook or bake. I think there's something really mm. sort of like soothing about the the steps that you have to follow, like whether or not you're following a recipe or it's just something that you've created. There's something about the action of using your hands whilst your mind's engaged that's just really like, yeah, I think it's really self-soothing. Mm. What piece of advice do you now know that you wished somebody would have told you earlier that would have made you a happier person? Even though this was something that was definitely affirmed to me growing up, I wish that I'd been able to take it in a little bit more, that you don't have to have everything figured out. Mm -hmm. What's the most important one thing that needs to change to make the world a happier place? <gasps> Equity and equality for all. That's kind of two, but the same. <laughs> we'll allow it. <laughs> and uh, finally, what is a simple, actionable step that we can all take when it comes to liberating our bodies that will help us on our journey to building a happier life? Being kind to yourself because it's going to take some time and that's okay because it's not meant to be five minutes. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Michelle, thank you so much. So to find and follow you on Instagram, it's at mybodyliberation. And uh, you've also got a website as well, right? Mybodyliberation.com. That's it. Make sure you go and check out Michelle's content because... As you've probably heard, she's a wise lady. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me, and the interviewees. The content of this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. If you do listen to The Happier Life Project on one of the podcast platforms, please do subscribe. We drop a new episode every Tuesday. And uh, if you have the time to share and leave a review, it really helps us out too. And to find and follow us on social media, if you're not already there, we are at My Possible Self. And I've been at Radio Gabby. Do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. <laughs>